Amen. Well, we do want to thank all who have come this evening. Uh, it's a joy to see you and to welcome you here. Um, we appreciate your understanding about Monday night. We could do nothing about the weather. And um, I just didn't want to be here by myself. Um, and uh, I, I did try to contact as many as possible. Uh, and um, I, I'm so thankful that uh, at least tonight uh, we can welcome uh, a goodly number into the house of God. And those who are visiting with us, especially from uh, our Balnehenge congregation, want to say most welcome again to you. And if you're visiting from elsewhere, uh, we're, we're really delighted to see you. Really good to welcome back the revival group here. Brother Andrew, thank you for coming. And the other men who are with you. And we want to say a special welcome, of course, to the Reverend Paul Hanna, uh, no stranger to you, and we're looking forward to your, your ministry, uh, brother, amongst us tonight. We're going to ask that the group, they're going to bring two messages now in song, then immediately after that, the Reverend Hannah is going to play his bagpipes. All right? And we'll all be going to the back. <clears throat> Amen. Stevie, what was that wee one you were going to sing? I was just saying, I think appropriate, we're singing a thank the Lord. Actually, folks, we were thanking the Lord, but weren't coming here on Monday night too, like the rest of you. So uh, I was thinking it was appropriate to sing I'll Fly Away, but Gordy's again that. But, you know, your, your, your minister here, was your pastor was saying about uh, all these things that are disturbing in them. I love to hear him about giving us a service on the pineapple. That that's, a, that's a wee challenge Stay for him now. So, so. If a soul's pining after Jesus and trust the Lord, he'll be the apple of his eye. Amen. For folks, there you are, there's the service and all. We're going to start off with a wee piece here. And it, uh, it's true to say, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, what was Nicodemus asked Jesus, What was they do to be saved? Jesus said to Jesus, You must be born again. So we're going to sing Born Again. Reading in the Bible, book of Jonah, chapter 3, is a story of a man who's looking good like you and me, saying, What must I do to be free of my sin? Jesus answered, Born again. God so loved the world that he gave 
to be forgiven and be free of your sin. Born again, you must be born again. If you want to get to heaven, then you must be born again. If you want to get to heaven, then you must be born again. Amen. <clears throat> Lost in sin, but Jesus took me in, and then a little light from heaven filled my soul. It made my heart in love and wrote my name above, and just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Come on, tell him all about your troubles. He will hear your faintest cry, and he will answer by and by. With Jesus makes it right. <clears throat> Sometimes my passing through without a ray of cheer, then a cloud of dark may hide the light of day, the light of day. The mist of sin may rise and hide the starry skies, and just a little talk with Jesus clears the way. tonight is found in the hymn book the hymn book that you brought in with you work for the night is coming is number 523 in your hymn book you'll not hear words over over these pipes uh, but you can look it up because those are great words and certainly the harvest time is a time of work a work for the night is coming the lord has warned us that there is a time coming when we'll not be able to work any longer Work for the night is coming and abide with me. I'm sure you know that one well. We'll try that one first. That's number 608 in your hymn book. We'll try 
Pipes are a temperamental <coughs> sort of an instrument. Uh, they've been sitting here maybe 40 minutes or more, uh, getting cold. Uh, so they'll maybe take a wee bit of warming up. That's Do you know those two very well? Amen. Abide with me. The Lord never leaves us. In fact, we've got a great promise in the Word of God, in the book of Hebrews. And it is, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What a promise that is. In fact, it's a promise we can read backwards. (coughs) Thee forsake, nor thee leave. Never will I. There's another one that I've only recently discovered can be played. It's number 526 in your book. In fact, it's one of the pieces, one of the hymns, and I've given my testimony here in the past. One of the pieces that the Lord has used to bring me into the Bible College, of course, there were many verses, but there were different hymns as well. I have only one life on this earth, and as vapor, it's passing away. I don't know whether it's possible to sing with this volume, but if you can, sing the first verse along with us. I have only one life on this earth. I think it's, is it 526? I've written in my notes here, it's 626, but I think it's 526. 526. My finger was wrong when I typed the wrong number. Uh, But 526, I have only one life on this earth. Our life is short, and we must remember that it's only what's done for the Lord will last.
And then, of course, there's one other one that we know probably better than any other on the pipes. People think bagpipes are a thing that you can only play about three tunes on. That's not, of course, the case. There's only nine notes. You've no sharps or flats, but you're certainly not limited to nine tunes. Amazing Grace is found in your book, hymn number 323. Newton's hymn, the one who could never forgive himself, but he knew the Lord could forgive him. One of the solos of the Reformation, sola gratia, grace alone. He knew something about it. And the greater the picture that we get of our own sin, the greater we'll understand uh, what the grace of God means to us. Mm. 323, we'll try a couple of verses. You can sing along with us. You're singing well there, I can hear you. First verse, you know it well. And then that other verse, the one that speaks about 10,000 years. What verse is that? Is that seven? Yes. Stephen, do you have it there? Seven. Seven. Verse one and verse seven. I'll be listening to hear if I can hear you. (coughs) Sing it out. Verse one and seven of Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Folks, we'll turn to the Word of God at this stage. We want to read the precious book. Again, one of the solas, in fact, the sola that often stands at the head of all others that we're thinking of at this Reformation time of the year is sola scriptura, scripture alone. Of course, it's in this book that we get everything that we need, everything that the Lord would have us know about salvation and the things of God. Matthew's Gospel, please, the first book 
of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. We want to read from verse 35 Mm. of Matthew, chapter 9. Of course, we have the Lord Jesus Christ really at the height of his ministry, we might say. The Lord Jesus Christ had people, many people, flocking, (coughs) listening to everything that he would say. Verse 35, I trust you find the place. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he hath called, or when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, which is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, Cast out devils. Freely ye have received. Freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver. Nor brass for your purses. Nor script for your journey. Neither two coats. Neither shoes. Nor yet staves. For the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter. Inquire who in it is worthy. And there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. <coughs> Amen. And we know that the Lord himself <coughs> will bless us the reading of his own inspired word. Thank you, Paul. Amen. We'll have the revival group again. Thank you. 
Perhaps you may be in here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and personal Saviour. You're not saved. Perhaps maybe sometimes you're in a meeting and you feel God is speaking to you personally. <clears throat> conviction of sin. And you say to yourself, well, I'll leave it another night. I'll leave it another time. And you go to the door and then you forget all about it and sit and get the grip of you. You know, it's very dangerous to overlook salvation because in God's word he says, God shall not always strive with man. <clears throat> Heaven is a city built by jewels red. Its beauty is a splendor yet all soul. If you neglect salvation, you'll never enter in. You'll never ever walk those streets of evening <clears throat> our brother when he was praying prayed about seed and I remember re reading many years ago these archaeologists <clears throat> were uh, digging 
in Egypt. And pyramids, I think, are around 4,000 years of age. I don't know what age they are, but they're older than Paul here or me, so they're a brave age. But when I get down into the, the, the pyramid, they found seed, corn seed. And one bright fellow thought, you know, I wonder if I planted some of this seed, would it grow? So I planted the seed, and in due time, it grew and bore fruit. Maybe you're sitting in this meeting, and you're not saved. But there's seed planted many years ago. But when the water came in that seed, the corn grew. When the water of the Holy Spirit will come to your seed, it can take root and bear fruit. Amen. It's not too late. God has given you this opportunity once again tonight. You maybe lived a life and you're guilty of many things. But Jesus wants to set you free tonight.
want to thank the Labour group for coming again. Um, we really appreciate you not only agreeing to come on Monday night, but agreeing to come tonight, even though it was a change of evening. And we certainly have enjoyed those uh, lovely messages and song. And uh, sure, the gospel's already been proclaimed to us. You must be born again. And then if you're here tonight and you're down in the dumps and you're in trouble and you just don't know what to do, a little talk with Jesus. You can go and have a time of prayer and think of this message, don't neglect salvation. And how, how many tonight are neglecting salvation? And yet the Christian life's the greatest life, the, the best life of all. If, if folks would just realize the, the blessing that it is to have the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this final message, the verdict was guilty. <clears throat> and yet the sentence was set free. Just, just because Jesus loved us and bled and died for us on the cross. Again, I want to thank you for coming. Um, I want to thank the Reverend Hannah for the ministry already on the bagpipes. It's tremendous. And also we're going to ask God's servant now to preach God's word. Thank you. Lord bless you. Thank you very much, brother. Thank you for the kind words of welcome and indeed for the invitation to come along here tonight. Uh, whenever our brother booked me some time ago, he mentioned about the pipes, about bringing the pipes. I thought Adam talked out of it. I told him about the volume about the sheer level of noise, about the front three rows, well, it's okay, these ones are deaf, but the rest of them here, the here, and about, the, about all of those things. And I thought, he, I thought he agreed with me, I thought I had him. And uh, we hung up, we ended the conversation, and within about 20 seconds, I got a message, a WhatsApp message, bring the pipes. Uh, so obviously that didn't work, brother. Uh, it was good to come along tonight. We've enjoyed the meeting thus far. Should the meeting end now? Well, it's said nine o'clock. Should the meeting end now, just before nine? Uh, we've been blessed. Amen. We've had the ministry already. Uh, may we indeed uh, feed on that. May we get onto that higher plane with the Lord. May we enjoy his presence. Remember, of course, those lovely words that the Lord himself used to do with a place of prayer where the two or three are gathered together in my name. Surely in prayer, surely in worship, surely in a service such as this, we're doing that. Mm. There am I. In the midst. In the midst. Amen. The Lord is here. I'm in no doubt about that tonight. The Lord is here. And the Lord doesn't simply come along to spectate. I think of another little schoolhouse way back in Kells. A long, long time ago, 1859. Four there was only a few people started off mm. and they prayed for three months and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And on New Year's Day 1859, the first soul, a lady, one who had been on those men's lips for three months, nothing happened. You know, we can get discouraged. Are you discouraged or are you blue? Well, those people, they got the blessing of the Lord. Jeremiah, Manelli and those others, and they kept on praying. I trust that we might be encouraged today to keep on praying, to keep on keeping on, because the Lord is a covenant-keeping God. If he has given you a promise, what a promise. The book is full of promises. We'll turn to the book now. Turn, please, to that passage that we've read tonight already. To those passages we've been reading from both Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10. With God's word open before you, let us still our hearts. We've had a busy night, you've had a busy day, I know you have. 
And I know the devil has been busy. He's been busy whispering in your ear. And he's been busy telling you you don't need to go to this meeting tonight. You can take the night off. You're here. Thank God for that. But he's telling you now you can let your mind wander. You know, I went to a meeting on Friday night. This is the truth. We had a meeting every night last week in the church. And I went to a meeting on Friday night, a planning meeting, to do with youth fellowships work. And the devil whispered in my ear. The meeting started at 8 o'clock. By half 8, the devil was whispering in my ear. You don't need to be here tonight. This meeting didn't need to happen at all. You could have all took the night off. I was wrong. He was wrong. But I didn't know it at the time. Maybe the devil's telling you that tonight. You ask the Lord, speak to me. Let us still our hearts, please. <coughs> We've been blessed tonight, but let us still our hearts. Let us Amen. take a moment. Toward the end of the meeting tonight, let us just take a moment. Don't leave it to the preacher simply to pray. Let us take a moment in the presence of the Almighty. Amen. Our Father, we thank thee tonight for thy blessing thus far. Mm. But Lord, we are hungry for more. That's right. Lord, I pray that thou would pour out the floods, not just the mercy drops, the floods on a dry ground. I plead thy promises. Mm. I pray that thou would be pleased to bless in the meeting tonight. Lord, thou hast brought us Back to this particular portion, these particular thoughts again. We believe for a reason. Mm. I pray for hearts prepared. Prepare my heart. Prepare Help my me Lord. to preach it, to dispense the word, to broadcast the word. But it's not about the sower, Lord. It's about the seed tonight. Oh, God. Bless so the hearts, seed. dear Father. We pray that it might be ground prepared by the every category mm. of ground, every type. Mm. It's for thy glory alone we pray. Help us. In thy precious and holy name we plead. Amen. Amen, Lord. You know, folks, I don't know about you, but I know personally I love this time of the year. I love the harvest time, this time of the year, when the farming community, I've got roots in the farming community. I've still got a herd number. I've still got fields to look after. In fact, I've still even got animals. I tried to get rid of them all. I was left for one. As well as the donkeys as well as, of course. They don't really count. But you know, I love this time of the year. The time of the year when the farming community, and that's what it's mostly about, not solely, when the farming community literally reap what they have sown. The law of the harvest applies. Mm. They reap all the rewards of their hard work throughout the year. <coughs> it's a time that really marks the change. The change from the good growing times that we've enjoyed been a wet summer but even despite all of those things there's been great yields we're actually chatting about that the other day with some of your own folks about the yields about the growing times that we've enjoyed in northern ireland this very year and it marks the time the harvest does between the growing times and the leaner times that are yet to come the leaner times that are still future the leaner winter months that time when we will start to literally eat into the harvest, both our sales as well as the livestock and everything else. That harvest that's been gathered over this past few months, that harvest that's shown and illustrated by the samples that have been brought along to decorate the church here. You know, folks, this is, in my opinion, and I suppose my mother drummed this into us, 
So maybe it's something that we've learnt from her. But I believe this is one of the most beautiful times of the year as well. That time of the year when the leaves of the trees start to turn the most beautiful colours that nature has and start to drop to the ground. At this time of the year, just after the harvest has been gathered in, things almost seem to stop. They almost seem to pause. Even after we've had weather such as we've had over the weekend, even after record storms like we've had on Monday, the calm comes after the storm. When you look out your window, when you survey the scenes of nature, nature seems to be taking a break. It seems to have stopped. It seems to be at peace. It seems to have paused. It's almost like as if nature is resting for a brief moment before the weather swings again. And we start to get into the winter months. You know folks. In this country. This land. Northern Ireland particularly. (coughs) The time of harvest has always been. Always been a very very busy time of the year. In the past. Many many people have been employed. And used in the harvest. And bringing in the harvest. In fact. it's, It's in keeping to say this. In an old schoolhouse. Of how our very school holidays are governed or completely different in Northern Ireland from any other part of the world. Even the mainland, even down south. The holidays here are different. And that has to be said to be due, in large part at least, to the farming practices here in our wee country. The children always got off school and time to coincide with the digging of the potatoes. You can remember that, I'm sure many of you can. Gordon, I'm sure you've spent many a day lifting potatoes. Hard work, sore on the back. When they're kicked out of the rows, you're lifting them at a peace rate, trying to get more than your friends. In fact, the summer holidays have always been long and uninterrupted to allow the children, the whole family, to labour together, to work together, to bring in the hay and all of that. All manual work, all hard work, all good work. In fact, traditionally that was a job that always included everyone. When the work was to be done, you didn't have an excuse. Everybody just got stuck into it to get it read up. When the harvest was ready, when the weather was just right, all else stopped and the harvest became the priority. We want to take verse 37 and verse 38 as our text this evening. Then saith he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, then saith he unto his disciples, he's ministering to his own. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Folks, the first thing that we see from these verses, these inspired verses, these aren't just ink on ink words on pages. This is the inspired, inerrant, complete, perfect word of God. And folks, we have here a problem. A 
problem that has been fleshed out, a problem that's been detailed, a problem that's been identified. You see, the scene that's painted for us here in Matthew's Gospel is a very, very busy scene. <clears throat> the Lord was very, very busy. He was about his father's business. He was one who was fully committed. Remember, he was the, here's a big word, the theanthropic God-man. What does that mean? It just means, don't worry about big terms, it means he was fully God, yet at the same time fully man, because he was the only one, fully God and fully man, the only one who could ever procure <coughs> by purchase our salvation. And here we find him very, very busy. There was all that hustle and there was all that bustle in the area in which he was ministering. Everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. Because remember, we read in another place, never man spake like this man. He was at the center of it all. In this ninth chapter, we find the Lord extremely busy. What was he doing? He was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing the sick. In fact, if we look back to the very first verse of chapter 9, we didn't read that far back. But if we look back to the first verse, we read there how he, that is the Lord, entered into a ship, how he passed over the sea into Capernaum, his home city, which lies right on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee. And almost immediately they, that is the people, brought somebody to him to heal, the man sick of a palsy, and he healed that man right away at the part of it. Get the part of it. Folks, maybe you think, maybe you think with your sin problem, with the condition that you have, with the level, the depth, the deplority and sin that you've been involved in, that there's no hope for you. The Lord can do something where man cannot. The Lord healed that man. Of course, this had an immediate reaction. Of course, there were those who were happy, pleased, encouraged by what they had witnessed on that occasion, but there were always those. In fact, the religious zealots, we have those today. Those zealots who were ever watching him, looking, searching, trying to find occasion against him. Verse 4 tells us that he knew their very thought life. <clears throat> Folks, maybe you come out here and you dress the part, you look the part, you talk the part, you sit and you come in good time and all the rest of it, and you think that nobody knows what's going on inside. We don't. You can fool me. I've been fooled before and I'll be fooled again. You can fool a church <coughs> station. You can fool a minister. You can fool a presbytery. But I'll tell you what, you'll never fool the Lord. That's right. We read in these words how he knew their very thoughts I think of another that he was sung off tonight. Nicodemus. We read of how this very wise man. He was a ruler of the Jews. We get this idea in our head that he was some sort of a wimp. He was a very wise man. And he came to the Lord under the cover of darkness. And he quizzed the Lord up and down. He asked him all sorts of questions. But it didn't matter what he asked. Because the Lord saw right into his heart. And he addressed the real problem. He must be born again. That's your problem tonight if you're not saved. You need to be born again. <clears throat> we're thinking there a few moments ago about that old schoolhouse at Kells. You know, one of the first men that were involved in that revival that prayed down a blessing that saved over 100,000 people all those years ago, 156, 
157 years ago, a man by the name of Jeremiah Manelli. And that man was a theologian. He argued back and forward about Calvinism and Arminianism and all the rest of it. But you know, none of those things really mattered until he got to the cross. Maybe you're one that will argue about points of doctrine and argue about this and argue about that. And all the while you know you're not saved. And people are full, but the Lord's not full. The Lord can look right through and he sees the very thought process. He can see our hearts. Verse 4 tells us that, that. And how the Lord not only saw their hearts, but he went on to reprove them for the evil that was in their hearts. Verse 8, we see how the Saviour and the way that he dealt with these people around him gained popularity. More and more followed him. Very soon he was followed. He was plagued, in fact, by a very large crowd. Even when he was eating, he wasn't at peace. He was still under the cosh, still under scrutiny, still under the spotlight from those around him. We find the Lord giving those people Giving faithful teaching and valuable lessons not only of life but of eternity to those kinds of people. He ministered to them, the ones who sought occasion against him. He ministered to his own inner circle, the twelve, the three of the inner circle and everybody else in between. I don't care where you are in the spectrum. I don't know you. But let me tell you this, the Saviour knows you. The Saviour knows exactly where you are on that scale. I know because we get it all the time in the doors. We get it all the time in personal conversation with people. Because (laughs) what we tend to do, we tend to compare ourselves with the worst in society. And you're not down there. I know that. But the Word of God tells me that we're all sinners. Every last one of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Lord spoke to everyone. He had a word in season for everyone. He ministered to everyone. Is he ministering to your heart, to your soul tonight? Is he challenging you? No matter what category of sinner you are, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Has the Lord got a word for my soul tonight? I believe he has. Toward the end of this ninth chapter, we find again the Savior on the move. In fact, we're told that he went to all the cities and villages, teaching and preaching and healing. However, and just imagine the scene. It's fast moving. There's a lot going on. Nothing stops. And then we come to verse 36. Verse 36 is introduced with a three letter word. And every time we see this word in the word of God. Every time we see the word but. It's always like a hinge. Everything is so fast moving up to the start of verse 35, into verse 36. But when he, that is Christ, but when Christ saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Folks, that's the little word but. Everything just seems to stop. Everything just seems to pause just for a moment. This is literally the calm that has followed the storm. This meeting should have been held on Monday night. God overruled. God superintended that this meeting would be held tonight. Maybe you weren't available for Monday night. But we'll see you here tonight. 
There's no such thing as accidents. In fact, we believe, as Paul did, we believe, as recorded in Romans 8 and 28, that all things, even the fact you're here tonight, all things work together for good. But when he saw that as Christ, he saw and he was moved with compassion on them, the people, the mass. Verse 36 tells us that because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherds. Folks, can I put it to you this evening in this beautifully decorated church, this building, this church building, I come in and I thought it was a real dog looking at me. I come in and I saw all these things. It was great. But in this beautifully decorated place this evening, whenever we read this verse, verse 36, after considering all else that we've thought about, Everything just seems to stop. That's what the harvest time does. The calm after the storm on Monday. Everything just seems to stop. Because the Lord Jesus Christ. He identified the problem right away. When he saw these people. When he saw this multitude. He understood it. He understood the issues as only God could do. I look out at a crowd. (coughs) I'm sure a brother will concur with this. When we look out, especially the bigger the crowd, the more this is the case. We just see a sea of faces. I believe when the Son of God spoke, when the Son of God addressed the people, when the Son of God preached and brought a word to the people, should there have been 22,000 people there? I believe he saw each and every individual, not just on the outside. Not just the way they were dressed or the way they were focused upon him on the outside. But he saw every individual from the outside in. You know, the Lord sees us on the outside as well. People use those verses when the man looketh on the outward appearance but the Lord looketh on the heart. Nearly to excuse going to God's house dressed in ways that they ought not to. Like as if God cannot see what's on the outside. God sees that but he also sees what's on the inside. And it's that that really matters. What's on the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside. The Lord saw the problem. And the problem was that these people were lost. The Lord saw that. The Lord understood that as he ministered to them. Later on in the 36th verse, we see exactly what the problems were. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted. And were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Folks, we read in this verse that he had compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted. Why did they faint? Because they were weak. Because they were unable to help themselves. And they were scattered abroad. Why was that? That no one to lead them. (coughs) They lacked the leadership. That no one to show them the way. That no one to help them. The problem was that they all seeing God identified right away. Jesus. When he looked at the crowd that day. He saw the individuals and he saw the issues. When I think of that, it makes me think of every sinner in the world today. Of course, you know it. I know it. The Word of God teaches it. That we're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All death has passed upon all men and all have sinned. My Bible tells me, your Bible tells you that we're all Dead, not just sleeping, not just dormant. We're dead in trespasses and sins. And a dead man can do absolutely nothing. That's right. But the Lord can do that miracle. Because you know what? Nothing is impossible with the Lord. Nothing. 
Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And he says this, And you preach unto the Christian. You hath he quickened. What does quicken mean? That which was once dead is now made alive. You hath he quickened which were dead in trespasses and sins. If it's not clear enough, the end of the verse brings it out. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, that's another one of the solos of the Reformation, by grace are ye saved. Not only are we sinners in our natural state, weak and helpless in our own strength, weak and without any ability, but we need the shepherd. We need the one to lead us. We need the shepherd. We need someone to lead us and to comfort us and to direct us. I thank God today. I thank God. That he uses human instruments for his own glory. His own glory. He uses instruments, human instruments, you and I. To be laborers in his vineyard. Of course, when we think of the shepherd, we think of the shepherd. We think of the good shepherd. Our minds are immediately drawn to him. Remember that great campaign that rolled out across Ulster, into the border counties, into the rest of the south. Consider Christ. Mm. If I could do nothing more than to get you to do one thing tonight as a result of this meeting, as a result of this whole weekend of services, it would be that. (coughs) Consider Christ. Backslider, consider Christ, what he's done for you. Christian, seeking to walk worthy of your calling in him, consider Christ. Dear unsaved person tonight that's never been to the cross, Consider Christ. He is the one, as he says, speaks of himself in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I have a different verse. I love this verse. This is my motto verse behind my head here. Be still, because I believe in this day and generation with TV and internet and mobile phones and all the rest of it, we're constantly engaged from the outside. And I believe today more than ever we need to obey this command. Be still and know that I am God. But I have a different verse above my head on Mount Marion. We preach Christ crucified. And that's what, that's the place that we want to draw your attention to this evening because that is the place where our sins have been dealt with in full. That's the place where the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the greatest shepherd of all, the master shepherd, gave his life for the sheep. But folks, that's not the whole of the problem. We read on down, verse 37. We read the Savior's own words recorded in this inspired portion. The harvest truly is plenteous, but... But, there's another but. The harvest truly is plenteous. We've got something positive. In fact, the most positive. Mm. The harvest truly is plenteous, but, and then with the hinge, everything after that is negative. What is it? The laborers are few. Are few. Folks, the need, <coughs> the spiritual need was great in the Savior's day. There were too few who were doing anything about it. In the Saviour's day. And let me tell you this. In 2017. It's no different. It's no different. The need is great today. The labourers are few. You know folks in the past. Threshing corn. 
was a very time-consuming and labor-intensive task. There's many in this meeting tonight know all the details about the thresher. When the corn was ready to be harvested, you didn't go in with machinery. A man went in with a scythe. Maybe more than one man. Maybe six or seven men went in with a scythe. Can you remember that? That was hard work. The fields were cut manually by men with scythes. The corn was then tied up into the sheaves. They were then built into rocks, several into a rock, dotted across the field, maybe ten or a dozen rocks, depending on the yield, on every acre of ground. The rocks were then given time to dry. They were then drawn by the horse and cart, slowly and laboriously into the stackyard, where more, much bigger stacks were built from the sheaves. And the rocks, given time to dry, maybe 10 or 15 rocks went into making each stack of corn, depending on who was building them, of course. You got a good builder, maybe 15 rocks into making a stack of corn. <coughs> in fact, way back in the mid-1930s, there was a new invention came onto the scene. The thresher became popular for use around farms here in Northern Ireland. When the thresher arrived, it was drawn, leveled up. It had to be dead level. Leveled up between two stacks of corn. And then the real work began. The threshing began. And when the thresher came to the farm, it was all hands and deck. You remember that? The younger men will not. To operate a thresher at full capacity, it might have took nine men. To run that thresher. Eight or nine men. All who knew what they were doing. All who were capable of hard work. It took one or two men to pitch up the sheaves. Up onto the top of the thresher. It took two or three men on top of the mill. A man loosing and two men feeding the corn down into the thresher. It took a man on the back. Bagging that precious commodity. That precious corn as it would come out. Took a man to tie the bales. There were no automatic tires in those days. No knockers. Usually the owner of the thresher kept everything right, kept the fan set right, looked after the tractor, got the speed just right. And then it took maybe two men to draw the bales of straw away. How things have changed today. All those men done away with. When the thresher came to the farm, it was really all hands on deck. But now, one or two men can do the work that would have taken eight or nine good, hard-working, fit men to do then. Now one man, one man operates a thresher, a combine, air-conditioned, don't break sweat. In fact, there isn't even a seat for a second person. Radio. Yes. Sorry. You know, folks, let us consider that text again. Verse 37. <coughs> Christ said unto his disciples... Today it's like this. <clears throat> As it was in the Saviour's day, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labourers are few. Today you have a man on his radio. Not only do we consider the problem identified, but there's something else here. And don't worry, we've only really two points tonight. That is the instruction that the Saviour gives us. Consider this scene again. The Saviour looked with his all-seeing eyes as only God could do. He saw the multitude. He saw the individual. He saw their needs. And eventually he immediately spoke to these people. But what did he say? 
verse 38. In fact, the whole of this following chapter, that's why we read so far down chapter 10, it gives really the answer to that very question. What did he tell them to do? How did he tell them to do it? Whenever I look at this portion, chapter 10, whenever I read it over and over again, whenever I read those verses to myself, I really thought, look at it. I really thought this is like the Lord's handbook. The Lord's direction, the Lord's instruction, the Lord's helpmate for the child of God. How we may serve him in the harvest field. Look at how the Saviour instructed his children that day. The Saviour taught first of all, as he always did, as any good leader did, and he was the best by his own example. Even before he started to speak about the matter. Even before he gave any instructions. He lived by example. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Teaching. His own example. Teaching in the synagogues. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. What do I find him doing? Teaching. Preaching. Healing. His own example. What an example for us to follow today. Then what did he do? Then what did he tell us to do? Then what did he instruct? This is perhaps, folks, the most important thing that we could do today. In the building of a church, and the establishing of a work, and the progression of that work, the best thing that we could possibly do is to obey the very command that's given at the start of verse 38. Do you see it? Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Folks, there's nothing that we could do better than to pray. Have we got it? Have we caught the fire? Do you believe? Do I believe? Do we believe as a united church that the Lord hears and answers prayer? We say we do. Do our actions back up our claims? Do we have that same vision that those men did who founded this church away back in 51? They knew what prayer was. Nights of prayer. Weeks of prayer. Have we lost that? Why does revival tarry? Why is the tide so far out? Why are we not seeing souls saved? Why do we not pray? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Do we have the same vision that those men had who founded this very church? We need more public, we need more private prayer in this day and generation. We're told in this last verse of chapter 9, not only that we're to pray, but exactly what we're to pray for. What is that? That we're to say, pray the Lord would send labors unto his harvest you know it's not our mission field it's not our work it's not our church it's his in fact right down throughout this 10th chapter we'll not have time to get into it we find the lord's instructions to his disciples as to how we're best to serve him that's your handbook to study that's my handbook to, to study this chapter is full of commands it's full of verbs what's a verb it's a doing word It's not a sitting about doing nothing. It's a doing word. We're saved to do. We're saved to serve. In fact, these aren't just verbs. They're imperative commands. 
That's a very strong thing. That's something we're instructed to do that we ought to do. Verse 6, we're told to go. Verse 7, we're told to preach. Verse 8, we're told to heal. We're told to cleanse. We're told to raise, cast, give. All these verbs. Verse 9, verse 5, we're even told what we're not to do. We're told that we're not to go in certain instances. In fact, the thought there is, in the first instance, that we're to start work at home. Here, carried off. But what are we doing? There's a great harvest field out there and there are workers needed. Years ago when there was a mission on, when there was special works happening, everybody from the locality, whether they were church going, Protestant, Catholic, saved, unsaved, didn't matter, everybody went. God's people never missed a night when they went, they took people with them. But you know now it's like the thresher. One or two or three or four, a handful of men, women, the faithful, the core, are left to do everything and everybody else just watches. We're getting good at spectating. You know what marked the church before the Reformation? You know why the Reformers saw that it was needed? One of the things was that the faithful sat in the pew and spectated what was going on at the front. Ignorantly spectated. And the Reformation changed all that. They got the people involved. They did everything in the language of the people that they could understand, among other things. Nowadays, it's like the thresher. What do we need to do? We need to start by praying. All these things follow on. All these things work on after that. You know, folks, our time has gone. A whole lot of time has gone. But in closing tonight, I want us to think about another aspect of the thresher when it came to the farm. I, of course, had to ask a very good friend of mine all the details about the thresher. I wasn't about in the 1930s, believe it or not. In fact, I'm only in my 30s. I wasn't about in the 30s. But whenever the thresher came, It came in the 1930s to this particular farm and this man that I was speaking to. And they traded it in. They worked it for almost 30 years. They traded it in for a combine in the early 60s. And I asked him about one particular thing and that was the chaff. Mm -hmm. I asked him about the chaff. What was done with the chaff? Do you know what he said? In fact, I've written in my notes the very words that that man told me. Some of the farmers bagged it for... Bearing cattle in dry houses. But it really wasn't much use for anything at all. Mostly they just gathered it up, listen, and burnt it because it was good for nothing. Folks, what are you? Are you the chaff or are you the good seed? Because I thought about that. You're one or the other. There's no halfway house in these things. You're either saved or lost. You're either chaff or seed. The farmer had to burn it because there was nothing they could do with it. But you know, folks, I was thinking about this today because the Lord can do the impossible. He can turn the chaff. He can turn the unrepentant sinner. He can turn the chaff into the good seed. He can do something that they can't be done in nature. If you're unsaved tonight, you are chaff. You're heading for the fire. The only one that can turn you, you can't. Try to turn yourself. No man can save himself. You know what it's like? It's like a man trying to lift himself by his own shoelaces. It will never happen. But the Lord can lift you. The Lord can change you. The Lord can turn you from that chaff to the good seed. 
valuable, precious commodity. I trust that there might be a challenge here for you. Whether you're unsaved, whether you're a backslider, cold at heart. You know, I was thinking about this. When the thresher came, if there was a young fella standing about coal, you know the best thing for somebody cold? Hard work. Hard work, isn't that right? Hard work. There's nothing like hard work to warm you up. Inside to out, you warm up. If you're cold at heart, hard work is what you need. Hard work in the Lord's service. Or if you're hoping, seeking to walk worthy in your calling in Christ, my prayer is, the church's prayer here is, that you would get behind your shoulder to the wheel and push the work forward. May we all do that. May the Lord bless what has been of him this evening hour, please. Amen. Well, let's just unite together in a wee word of prayer to close the meeting. Do you thank the Reverend Hannah for the ministry? I've heard the problem identified. I've heard about the prayer to be uttered. I've heard about the power that was exercised. Lord, we do want to thank thee for thy presence with us. Amen. We thank thee in Jesus' name especially for the good word of God. And we pray, Lord, you'll write that word on every heart now. Let yes. us know those that are here that are thine. That's right. That have a testimony to thy saving and keeping power that can say that they were born again of the Spirit. Yes, Lord. Lord, they've been washed in the precious blood. They have a testimony to thy saving Amen. and keeping power. So thank you for that. And Lord, if there's one amongst us tonight that hasn't yet got such a testimony, Lord, show them they're just like the chaff. Lord, all they're fit for is the fire. And Lord, that their greatest need is to be rescued and changed and transformed Amen. by the grace of God. Lord, save precious souls, we pray. And Lord, help us who profess to be thine, who say that we love the Lord Jesus. Help us, O oh God, not to live for ourselves, mm-hmm. but help us to, to live for his yes, honour and glory. Thee, help us to take seriously this word. The <clears throat> harvest truly is plenteous, but the labourers are few. And Lord, we need labourers in the country with a passion for souls. Yes. Help us, therefore, to pray. Set us a praying. And, O oh God, as we pray, we ask that thou will raise up the labourers. Amen. And, oh God, there'll be an abundant harvest like in 1859. Amen, they can do it. Lord, thou hast power to do it. We're asking now to remember us to this end, according to your will and good pleasure. Amen. We pray now you'll accept of our thanks for the good things that have been provided. We thank you for the ladies and the hard work and the effort and making the tea. And we pray, Lord, as we have fellowship together, Mm -hmm. that you'll bless our time around the cup of tea and bless the food to our bodies. And Lord, then take us safely, each one to our home. And O oh God, help us to go with remembrance of the good word of God. For we ask it tonight, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 Thank you. Good night. <clears throat>